text today is Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 33. Starts on page 1173 of the Bibles in the seats. So last week we began looking at Paul's instructions to Christian households about mutual submission according to the roles that each person is in. He started that by giving directions to wives, telling them to be subject to their husbands. This week, Paul turns his attention to the husbands and how we ought to love our wives. So I'm going to reread, starting at verse 21. We've already covered that, but we're going to read to verse 33. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord, as we prayed last week, we ask again that you would use this text to reform our homes and to change hearts, make our homes a place of good order and gospel illumination so that we will all pass on the faith to our children and to our grandchildren. Make us receptive to the truth found in these scriptures. Bless our gathering with your presence. May it be glorifying to you, faithful to the text, and helpful for your people. Send your spirit to work in us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do believe that this text ranks near the top as one of the most intimidating in Scripture. Obviously not because it's difficult to interpret. It's crystal clear. It's pretty obvious what we are being directed to do here. But it is intimidating because it is a high and difficult calling. It's reminiscent of Christ's command in Matthew 5.48, where he told the crowds, Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's essentially a call to perfection, specifically in marriage. But in both cases, in both those verses, we hear that command and we know we're going to fall short of it. No husband is ever going to exhibit to his wife the perfect love Christ exhibits to his church. So needless to say, the life of a Christian husband is a life of repentance for his failures toward his wife, Let's just get that out of the way right here at the beginning. However, even though us husbands will never love at the capacity and perfection of Christ, we as husbands can learn how to love our wives in the same manner, with the same attitude as Christ. Christ-like love 
can still be the general tenor of our homes. You've probably heard this from us before, but as shepherds at Grace Chapel, we are intentionally harder on husbands than wives. We look at them first. They have greater responsibility as heads of the home. Men set the tone for the home. We've often said that as well. Men set the tone for the home. So if the tone of the home is off, there is disorder and distress in the home. If that is the case, we look at the husbands first. Not only because they bear that responsibility as husbands to set that tone, but because we as husbands have the ability to change it or more of the ability to change it, a greater ability to change it. If it has gotten out of place or gotten to the place of disorder and distress, then it is usually because the husband allowed it to get that way by either directly causing it himself or by being neglectful in tolerating whatever it is that led to it. I don't want to say that the husband is more important than the wife. I don't think that's the right category that we should be thinking of. But the husband does have greater influence in the home than the wife, both according to roles and according to nature. I do not say that to downplay the impact of a wife's godliness. That's not my intent. I say that to emphasize the impact of a husband's leadership. Even here in this text, we see that Paul gives three times as much space to the duties as husbands as he did wives. And there's a reason for that. So as we go through this, we ought to let it convict us. And spoiler alert, it it is convicting. (laughs) We have some very good husbands in this church, genuinely. I seriously believe that. I have improved as a husband in the six years that we have been here purely from, or at least partially from, learning from the examples I have seen in this church. And I want my wife to experience the appropriate love God wants her to receive as a wife, and I want my son to learn from the example that I'm setting in the home. And I want to learn from you other men that are doing this well and have done this well for years. I think ahead, too, the, the, the best way I can love my future daughter-in-law is to set a godly example of Christ-like love for my son to mimic so that he is a good husband to her. And in that way, I will be loving my future grandchildren that come from that marriage because they will have a godly marriage set before them. And the best way I can help my daughters to choose a godly man is to display what Christ-like love looks like toward women in the home so that they make a godly decision, a wise and godly decision on who to marry. The importance of Christ-like love in marriage cannot be underestimated. It very well may, by God's grace, echo for generations in our families. Let that weight rest upon your shoulders, men. But don't crumble under it. Don't crumble under that weight. Bear up under it and fulfill your duty as husbands by the power of Christ's Spirit in you. Last week, we told the wives to gird up their loins and submit. And now this week... We say to the husbands, man up and love your wives as Christ loved his church. Man up and do this. This is your duty. Throughout this exhortation for us men, we never want to get too far from this metaphor that Paul uses as the centerpiece to this command. We aren't just supposed to be nice. It's not about being gentler or more understanding. It's not just about that. It's about loving our wives as Christ loves his church. That metaphor is the driving principle 
the driving example to how we are to fulfill this command. Remember, mutual submission in a Christian marriage looks like a wife being subject to her husband and a husband being self-sacrificial for his wife. She follows the example of the church. He follows the example of Christ. Tyranny and oppression have no place in a Christian marriage because there's no tyranny and oppression between Christ and his church. One of my professors, Stephen Ball, said, the husband's love, not dominion or rule, is the best guard against a wife's submission to her husband, ending up as joyless slavery to spousal, tyrannical despotism, which has no resemblance whatsoever to the Bible's teaching. The husband is bound by love to ensure that his wife finds their marriage a source of rich fulfillment and joyful service to the Lord. It's on us, in in the manner in which we love, to make our wife's submission rich, fulfilling, and a joyful service to the Lord. I hope that me, we as men were thinking last week, wow, I want to be the type of man that makes submission to me easy and natural and joyful for my wife. And judging from the conversations that I had and the way that I was thinking through the whole thing, I, I do think that was the case. I think most people thought of that as they're hearing that their wives are being commanded to submit, they're thinking she has to submit to me. What kind of man am I? How hard is that submission? And that's appropriate. That's the right thing to do. Ideally, if we act according to these commands, if we as husbands are godly and cherishing our wives as Christ cherishes the church, then neither love nor submission will become a problem in our marriages. And not only will we not have to deal with the unhappiness in our life that comes from us not doing that, but we will be able to do what Paul tells us marriage is supposed to do. What Christian marriage is supposed to do, it's supposed to be a picture of the gospel. That is a mystery that was not understood fully until the New Testament. That marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. That is why we are told to love our wives. Because we love Christ. We do it because we love Christ. We're supposed to image to the world what the gospel is all about by displaying an analogous love in our marriages. We love our wives because as Christian men, we want the world to see the love of Christ in us. We want the world to see them, we we want them to see us loving our wives in a manner that is analogous to how Christ loves the church. It's that simple. We love our wives because that's what we want the world to see. Christ, the Father, gave the church to his son as his bride to be his possession. And Christ loves his church and he gave himself up for her to sanctify and to cleanse her. So, we are to give of ourselves as husbands so that we might be a sanctifying influence in her life so that, as Vodi Bakum says, she is more like Christ and brings more glory to Christ as a result of having been married to you than she would had she not been. So, you marrying her should result in her bringing more glory to Christ, more submission to Christ than if she had not been married to you. God has given you a wife, and he wants your presence in her life to be a sanctifying influence. You are to draw her more toward Christ, draw her into greater conformity to Christ as she observes Christ in you. Your wife should be seeing Christ in you, and through that, not that exclusively, but through that, loving Christ more. 
As you love her like Christ, she is drawn to love him all the more. That's a big deal. That is the way we are to love our wives. That is a high calling. She must see in us a similar willingness to sacrifice, regardless of whether or not she has earned it. Because the church didn't earn any of Christ's love. He didn't love her because the church earned it. The church didn't elicit Christ's sacrifice by our obedience or by our respect or by our affection toward him. He didn't see, oh, this church is just a really good, faithful church full of obedience and eagerness to obey. Therefore, I will die for the church. His love does not waver based on how well we have loved him back. He acted out of love while we were still sinners. His love precedes our love. His love is not dependent on our love. He does not waver based on how well we love him back or how well we respect him. His love doesn't waver based on our failure. He did his duty to sacrifice for us, to sanctify us in the word, and to intercede for us no matter how we think, act, or behave. What husband can say that they've done that for their wife? And why don't we? Why don't we do that? Because we as fallen men tend to act out of our emotions towards our wife. Our emotions waver. The emotion that we call love, or that we experience as love, waxes and wanes. Yes, we may be more emotionally steady relative to our wives. We may be less emotional. But we do not feel endless affection towards even the best wives. But Paul is not commanding a feeling here, is he? He's not commanding a romantic attraction. He's commanding attitude and behavior. Out of a sense of duty. The instructions given to women are tied to male headship. We saw that already. But Paul doesn't speak to men about their authority to govern the home. He speaks to them about their responsibility to love. Last week, wives were told of their duty to respect and submit to their husbands, even when their husbands are not honorable or respectable. They're told, do it anyway. Well, husbands are required to love their wives, even if they despise us. Even if we've given them good reason to despise us. That's the whole point of Christ-like love. He loved us even when we hated him. That's what Christ-like love is. So Christian men should be the ones whose love does not fail because we have been emotionally hurt. Or because we don't emotionally feel attraction or desire for our wives. Paul doesn't say, do it on the days you feel like it. Do it on the days she's really won your affections. No, our love is a masculine love. Not meaning by that that, you know, we love our wives like we might show love to our bros. I don't mean that. But rather, it's a masculine love in the sense that it is tied to duty, not emotion. That's what's masculine about it. It's tied to duty, not emotion. A corresponding emotion is ideal. Don't get me wrong. And I hope we all have that. We should all be showing warm and tender affection that should correspond to how we act. But the presence of that emotion internally is irrelevant to how we are to act. We are not called to follow our hearts. We are not Disney princesses. We are called to do our duty. 
This is how our, our headship works as well. It's not about duty. It's not emotion. That's not what masculinity is all about. We are the head. Not because we feel like we're the head. We are the head. Because that is where God has placed us. This means that when we are confronted with a failure in our duty toward our wife, we are not to start making excuses about what they have done, about how they caused the problem. Remember how Adam failed in the garden. And immediately when he's confronted, what did he do? He started with, well, the woman that you gave me, Lord. Not what I did, not not as how he failed. You gave me a woman, Lord, and she did this. Deflecting immediately. That's not masculine love. That's not Christ-like love. He pointed at the woman that was graciously provided by God in the first place. That's not marital love. It was provided for him because it was not good for him to be alone. And we must not make this mistake. That is not masculine headship. That is not marital love. We're not looking outside of ourselves. If if there's a problem in the home, we go to the head of the home. Who is it? It's the man. We don't want Christ to love us this way. We don't want Christ pointing to our sins before the Father. That's not how he nourishes and cherishes his bride. (coughs) Thus, that is not how we are to love our wives. I was a bad husband today because you did this or that. No. That that does not fly in Christian marriage. Paul also tells us in verse 28 that he who loves his wife loves himself because we are one flesh. Just like Christ, remember, when he confronted Paul on the road to Damascus and Paul is on the way to persecute his church, what what does Jesus say to him? Why are you persecuting me? Me. If you persecute my bride, you're persecuting me. If you love the bride, you love Christ. If you love your wife, you love who the wife is united to. The church is united to Christ. By loving the church, you love Christ. The bride is united to her husband. If you love the bride, you're loving yourself. That's how it works. That's how unity works. This is the mystery. This is why he uses this example, this metaphor. So Paul cites the one fleshness spoken of in Genesis 2.24 to show unity of man and wife in marriage, to speak of that marriage. Therefore, loving your wife is loving yourself. And mistreating your wife is mistreating yourself. And anyone can see that because not loving your wife will make your life miserable. You will not find a joyful, unloving husband. They don't exist. You will only find miserable unloving husbands. If a husband does not love his wife, he has a corresponding misery in his life. Now, while Scripture does not teach us to pursue our own happiness, it it doesn't leave us to discern what may or may not make us happy. Joy is linked to Christ-likeness. Holiness is happiness. Holiness in Christ is happiness. As we do our duty in faith, such as loving our wives, we will inevitably experience happiness as a byproduct. If someone told me to bake a cake, if they said, that was the command given to me, go bake a cake, I would have no idea how to do it at all. I I don't have the first clue. But if someone told me the step-by-step instructions that resulted in a cake as a byproduct, then I could do it. And God doesn't say, go be happy, go find a way to be happy. 
And we just start throwing in ingredients that we find, well, I enjoy golf and uh, I like travel and leisure and we'll mix those together to see if that makes happy. No, he doesn't, he doesn't say, go be happy. He tells us step-by-step instructions on how to live. And that just so happens to result in a life of joy. So we're not left to wonder if we're doing these steps well either. It's not, it's not like we have no check along the way of, am I pointed in the right trajectory? We're not just guessing at whether or not we're being loving or living with our wife in an understanding way. Guess how we get that feedback on how well we love and if our love is conforming to Christ-like love? Our wives will tell us. She is our love assessor. And if she says in good faith that she does not feel loved, then we're not being loving. We are being unloving if she says... I'm not being loved. We set the tone of love for the home. She evaluates the tone of love in the home. Remember what we said last week. Men are told to love their wives because relative to women, they're not as good at it. And women are told to respect their husbands because relative to men, they're not as good at it. So Paul gives commands for each to give deliberate attention to the one that we don't do quite so naturally. Because women are more naturally equipped to love, then they are fairly equipped to evaluate how well we are loving them. They know whether or not we are loving them. And they can tell us so that we know how to do it better. We can either receive that help from our helpmates. They are our helpmates. That's one of the ways that they help us. It's giving us that feedback. So we can either receive that love from our healthmates as God intended, or we can react with wounded pride and sulk about it. But in holding that against her, we're just going to compound our failure by not nourishing and cherishing her. We will not be sanctifying her and seeking her purity. She will, be, she will not be drawn into the image of Christ more and cherish Christ more if we sulk about that and hold that against her. We must kill that pride if we want to improve in our love for our wives. Nobody likes hearing that. Nobody likes hearing that they've, we've, they've done a poor job. They haven't done enough or done it the right way or things that we think that we're doing that she appreciates are not things that she appreciates because she wants us to do something else and we don't. So maybe we don't want to do those other things, but that's how she feels loved. That's how Christ-like love would be shown. We have to kill that pride that prevents us from adapting our love to fit their needs. We must kill our selfishness. We must kill any desire to be constantly served. We must kill any expectation of a home that just runs flawlessly without our guidance and support. As if when we're gone from the day, everything should be perfect just the way we left it. And if we come home and there's any little trouble, it's like, well, you failed, wife. No. Any home runs better with a husband and wife working together. Of course it's going to be more more difficult when you're gone. And we must kill our own lusts. If we are to love by seeking her purity, then we must live in purity ourselves. If Adam is going to go slap the fruit out of Eve's hand, he better not be munching on that same fruit himself with his other hand. We cannot be hypocrites and we cannot be bullies. And those are the two dangers that we can fall into with our role, an authoritarian role. Seeing that kind of behavior is one, world, one reason why the world hates Christian marriage so much. 
It's not just because they hate male headship, that, you know, that's a big part of it, but it's also because they've seen too many men claiming to be Christians that just want to be served rather than being eager to serve sacrificially. They've seen too many men who act like bullies because they know that they have the authority and the power to do that. But then they don't use that power to lay themselves down for their wife. To be the self-sacrificial head of that marriage. And frankly, I join them in hating that. It's a hard thing to witness. I'll tell you what's really hard. I hate it when I come to my senses and I see that I've done that myself. That's hard. You feel like dirt. But Christ had no hint of hypocrisy in his love. He was never a bully towards his church. He can certainly be aggressive, but only in defending his bride and seeking her holiness. He'll be aggressive in that manner. And we as husbands ought to be the same. We can show aggression in protecting our wife and family. We can show aggression in keeping evil out of our homes. But toward our wife personally, we act out of understanding. As someone who is weaker, as with someone who is weaker, as we show her honor as a fellow heir of grace, of the grace of life, as Peter said in his first epistle. We are to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, is how Peter described it. Such men are easy to submit to. Such men are easy to respect. And such men are easy to forgive when they repent for not being that way all the time. Because no one's ever going to be that way all the time. But if that's the general tenor of your home, the general attitude that you display toward your wife, she will be quick to forgive. Martin Luther said, the Christian is supposed to love his neighbor. And since his wife is his nearest neighbor, she should be his deepest love. Marriages do not reach the point of fragility when the husband leads in this way. They don't become fragile. They're not hanging by a thread. Women don't want to be free of marriages when the man behaves in Christ-like love. But a troubled marriage heads towards divorce quickly when both parties start to prioritize avoiding the blame over imaging Christ in the church. Marriages are doomed for failure when they both want the other party to be the bad guy and then they cease to fulfill their own duty because they're too concerned about making the other party the bad guy. But men, like it or not, it starts with us. It starts with us. A man who doesn't love his wife well, who doesn't love his wife well, is not to be taken seriously. Not until his heart is reformed and his treatment of her reflects that. So man up and love your wives. Not because it is easy, but because it is glorifying to God. Christ showed his love by taking all of our troubles for us. And he knew how hard that was going to be. He knew ahead of time how hard that was going to be. Prior to his impending arrest, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He fervently prayed to the point that his sweat was as drops of blood. We all know the story. He was distressed 
by the duty before him to lay down his life for his bride. But Jesus was a man, a masculine man even. That's masculinity. He did not allow his distressing emotions to deter him from the job the father had given him to cleanse his bride, to love his bride. So that he could present her without spot or wrinkle. And so that she would be holy and blameless. This is the type of love that we are called to as men. We see the heart of Christ in how he treats his bride. And in the same way, our own hearts are exposed by how we treat our wives. How we treat others that are closest to us is a product of where we are in our sanctification. It's a very quick and easy indicator, and no one is closer to us than the helpmate in our own home. Our wives have been given to us by God because it's not good for us to be alone. They are gifts from God, and they are his daughters. Just think of how you want your daughters to be treated in their marriages. Is that how we are treating the daughters of God in our own homes? Matthew Henry said, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled under him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and nearest his heart to be beloved. Now, I don't suspect anybody can read through these verses today and not see areas of improvement in their own life. Even the best husbands amongst us fall short of this. The standard is perfection. So it is inevitable that all of us men find this convicting. It's not meant to dishearten us for, you know, how terrible a job we are doing. Unless, of course, we are doing a terrible job, then by all means, be discouraged. <laughs> be broken. Be broken by it and repent. But if it is convicting to you, as it is to me, and I'm sure every husband in here can say, this is convicting, then be comforted that you are, ironically, the receiver of the very kind of love that you are commanded to practice. Because, as a Christian, you too are part of the Bride of Christ. This is the type of love received by the church, the Bride of Christ. You have received this love. We may feel an intense burden to love as we ought to love, but we should not let that burden prevent us from feeling the intense joy of having been loved by Christ. We are to labor from our rest. We make this point all the time. We're resting in Christ, and we labor to love our wives by resting in Christ. We have law to follow, labor to do, but we rest in the gospel as we do it. The weight should we, we should all be feeling is not, you know, love like Christ loves or else. The weight that we should be feeling is a weight of duty. Not a weight of fear of the consequences for failure. A weight of a duty 
to do as we ought to do. The truth is, we are going to fail at it. We're, we're going to give our wives ample reasons to not respect us and to buck the authority in our homes. But God's system for the family still functions because the way of forgiveness has been opened for all of us by the love of Christ. That love that we're told to practice is what opens the door for us and makes forgiveness possible in the home when we don't love like Christ. The path toward Christ-likeness has been laid out for us so that we can be sanctified into greater love for our brides. Nobody just comes out of the gate and just does this. We're sanctified into it. No husband in the first year of marriage is as good as he's going to be in the fifth year of marriage or the 10th or the 15th or the 20th and 25th and etc., etc. If we live by faith and walk in the Spirit, we should be able to look back and see how far we have come in loving and cherishing our wives more and more like Christ as we appreciate the gospel more and more. The love that we have received ourselves and experienced ourselves and not being forsaken in our continuous sin is the love that we return to our wives again and again. We will get better if we attend to the means of grace. If we ourselves are washed in the water of the word. If we take holiness seriously. If we do our duty out of gratitude to Christ doing it for us and not out of fear, not out of a slavish fear, but out of gratitude for Christ, then the same sacrificial love of Christ that results in us being presented to the Father as holy and blameless can be developed in us as men. Jesus didn't give himself up for us because we just loved like him already. He sees to it that we learn to love like him. In saving us, he also ensured that we would be sanctified and cleansed. And part of a man being sanctified and cleansed is growing in Christ-like love for his wife. Christ-like love for others, especially our wives, is a reward of God's grace. So let's all pray that God nourishes and cherishes us in this church with the grace that we need to glorify him in our marriages. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are heavy laden when we think of all the many years worth of transgressions that we have accumulated as husbands failing to love our wives appropriately, failing to make submission and respect easy and joyful for them. So often their own sins are rooted in our own failures to love them as we have been loved by you. Do not let us persist in discouragement, but invigorate us to make continual, observable, heartfelt changes to how we live and how we honor our wives. Do not let our homes be unchanged. Reform our homes in holiness. Grant us the spiritual gifts we need to enact the love that we lack. Whatever it is, if we need greater patience, greater grace, greater appreciation for the gospel itself, whatever it is, 
Work it in our hearts, we ask you, Lord. Grant us those spiritual gifts. Empower us by your spirit to be the husbands and fathers that you would have us to be. Do it for your own glory. Do it out of mercy for those under our authority as heads of the home. Do it for the increase in joy that would come from it in our homes. If there is any miserable home amongst us, may this be the day that grace floods inside its walls. If there's any lukewarm homes amongst us, may your spirit move to make them fervent in their action, to be deliberate, to exhibit love. If there are any honorable homes amongst us, may they serve as an encouragement to the rest of us to emulate their behaviors. Strengthen us as a church by strengthening our marriages and our families, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who loves his bride, the church. Amen.